you know, we're, we're here to look at the kingdom of God. We want to just really examine the kingdom of God and see all about it. You know, we have, it, as, you, as we've talked about, I've said it several times, the kingdom is something in the Bible that means absolutely nothing to us. And the reason I say that is because it doesn't have any meaning and substance that you can attach to it. You know, it's a word. And we have a lot of words in the Bible like that. And doggone it, we, we should learn them and spend time and, and we don't. So they're words, they get out there and we hear it, we look at a verse that says something about it or something and it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything because we don't know what it means. We just don't seem to grasp that. So we're trying to examine the kingdom, talk about it, and what we're going to mainly do is work off of the definition of it, the biblical definition of it. But um, I want to catch you up to date for those who haven't been here. So we're starting to look at the kingdom. And if you have your Bibles, if you would grab a... I know I brought one here with me. Where did I put it? It's a great big old beach. There it is. Oh, it's waiting down that side of the table over there. Look at Matthew 25, 34, if you would. Hey, hey! Like, you ain't late. There's no late Okay, Matthew 25, 34, if you would. It's a very interesting verse. Now, this is quite interesting because you're a human beings, so I, I know you will think this way at some time in your life. You might have been three, you know, and didn't think of it anymore. You might be 23 and thought of it. 33 and thought of it. Um, at some point in time, you will think this, and it is really, what, what are we doing here? Why, why am I here? Um, what's the whole purpose? What is the reason? And then when you start thinking of God and you're, you become a Christian, you start, you, that doesn't take that away all the time. So it's, well, why did God put, put us on this planet? What's the whole purpose for this? What is this all about? Well, Matthew 25, 34 actually answers that question. And it does a beautiful job of it. So look at Matthew 25, 34. Can I get someone to read that one? I will. Okay. Take it away, Hannah. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, 34. What you see in this verse, something really, really unique. Now, Christ is the one talking. And he says, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. He's talking, he says, then the king, who's the king he's talking about? <laughs> who's the king he's talking about there? We'll say to his father, <clears throat> it's Jesus. Jesus is actually saying this, and he says, then the king will say to his father. That's kind of an interesting way to present this. But Jesus does that several different times, speaking of himself. So then the king will say mm -hmm. to his father, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow. That right there, if you stop for a moment, pause right there for a moment, and just catch what he said, he just gave us the purpose for why we're here. He has out there in the future a kingdom that the people he's created on earth are going to. That's what it's all about. This world is a temporary world. It's a journey to take us to that permanent place he's taken us. Now, the big, big thing that we find out about ourselves is this. What's so important for us is what we see there. Who's going to that kingdom? Who's going to that kingdom? What's he say? 
Those who are blessed. Those who are blessed. Now, if he says that, then I would think it would behoove us to know what in the world that means. <laughs> we design a lot of ways to get where God is going to take us. We call it heaven a lot of times. You know, where we're going. But he explains it right here. Those who are blessed. The word, you guys are very familiar with this word of what it actually means. It's a, it's a Greek word where we get the word, we use it all the time. You've heard it, you've seen it, you've witnessed it, you know about it. And it's where, it's when somebody passes away, and you go to a memorial for them, and what happens at that memorial? They eulogize them. It doesn't matter how bad that person was. He's the greatest person in the world when they're when you're at his funeral. You ever notice that? That's what a eulogy is. Because you know what a eulogy is? It means to speak well of someone. That's the Greek word that is translated blessed. That's where we get it from. Eulogizo. And that's what it means to speak well, to, to praise them. Well, so now the whole thing is all about those going to the kingdom are those the father of the king speaks well of. So now that becomes essential to humanity to know what that is all about. What does that mean? Who is he going to favor and who is he not? And in this passage, there's definitely a those not. Now, Hannah, here's your time. Here's your moment. Okay. <laughs> Hannah is ready for this moment anytime she gets asked. Okay. Who is it that's not going to go to that kingdom? The goats. The goats, all right. <laughs> Long story. But <laughs> she's had short story. A short story, they yeah. Remember Hannah. Yeah. She hates she, goats. She hates goats. She's out around with a couple of goats, especially one that just uh, about annihilated her. So now she understands why goats are going to hell. And if you notice, we have, we have no more goats on our property, but... What's on the right side he's speaking to? Those are the sheep, and we have sheep now. No goats, but we have sheep. So we're trying to get a little more biblical concept on here. But anyway, so God has, he really divides the entire planet up into two types of people. Race has nothing to do with it. Money has nothing to do with it. Social status has nothing to do with it. Nothing has anything to do with it. Other than what God the Father of the King who, what pleases him and he says, that's the one he says that then I favor that one. And that's the one, that, that's what we have to pay attention to. But so we know now, this is what's really fascinating. Now this whole concept of the kingdom, that was, that's, was way out here in the future, but when was the concept, not the kingdom, but the whole concept of how the favored ones are going to get there and everything that's going to take place to get to that kingdom, when was that established? What's it saying that the passage? World. When? Foundation of the world. Way back at the foundation of the world. Back then when he's created, before he even created Adam and Eve. He has already established everything that's going to take us. That's what the word means. He has set up everything that's to take us to the kingdom. Back at the foundation of the world. So right there you see something that's extremely important. The kingdom is a purpose. And who's going there is the purpose of everything God is doing. Right there. So I don't care what you're doing. Wake up next morning, next day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That day, you know what the greatest thing you're going to do in that day? Is work towards that end. To be 
get understanding of what he is doing, what that kingdom is all about. Because that's where we're going. You know that's the greatest purpose you'll ever have for your life. You'll never have a better purpose, ever, than to understand and know what the kingdom's about and then set your life to go do it, to what that's all about. That's what he created us for. So that's, we, I wanted to bring that out because it's so important. We'll, we'll review that a number of times as we go along. But we've done a little more things, but we're going to move on to what we did last week and slide into this week so we can... I really want to address Rachel's question. It's so important to what we're doing. So last week, you guys tell me now, because I know your memories are not long enough to go back to the beginning, Matthew 25, 34, <laughs> but last week now, we're only talking seven days now. Seven days. How are we doing? Let's go back and see. Um, what did we talk about last week? What? Luke 19. Sarah, that's why you're up in the front row. We like it right there. Luke 19. What's Luke 19 all about? Oh, it's about what people did with their, what are they called? Their minas, okay. Their minas. <laughs> what? It's their talents. What is that whole story all about, though? About a nobleman getting a kingdom. Came to get a kingdom. Establish a kingdom. He came to get a kingdom. And who is the nobleman in that parable, that story? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's so obvious. He's telling a story about himself. He's telling a parable of why he came to the planet. If I was to sit down, if I'd have given you all a piece of paper and said, okay, I want you to write down on it why you think Jesus came. Probably wouldn't get that answer. I just can't imagine. We just don't think that way. He said, talking about himself as the nobleman, he came to get a kingdom and then go back to where he came from. And then he's going to return. And he came He came here to get a kingdom. Now, if he did that, what did Jesus do when he came here? What did he do? What did, what did Jesus do? Preached about the kingdom. Taught about the kingdom. Well, he taught about the kingdom, but what did he end up doing here to get that to get that kingdom? What did he do? That's right. He, he was he put himself on a cross to be sacrificed. He said he came to get a kingdom, and then he put himself on a cross to be sacrificed. And we know what that was all about. So now, tell me, why was Jesus crucified? Side. So I could go to the kingdom. Oh, man. I don't know about you guys, but that's what he did for me. That's exactly right. That's actually, that's why he came. No. And what's really fascinating, look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 43, and, and just see how integral this was to his life. He came to get a kingdom. Luke 4, 43. Luke 4, 43. Jesus has been the city, he's been going place to place to place to place, and he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's raising people from the dead, he is just wiping out diseases everywhere he goes. Now, that's a popular guy, and, and they want him, they don't want him to leave, I mean, come on, can you imagine that? They don't have doctors like we have today, and so he's going around, he's healing everybody. So now, what, how, what would you be thinking when he's kind of looking like he might be leaving and, and going to go to another city? You'd be, ah, we want it, don't listen to it. Come on, let's see if we can keep him here. 
We, we ought to be able to plead with them to stay here because you want them to. Yeah. My goodness, if you get too hungry when you're out with them, all you need is a little sandwich or two, and he'll just feed everybody. This is, we want him around. So, what does Jesus tell us? Look at verse 43. Can I get someone to read that? But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. You see, they want him to stay, and he says, no, I can't. And he says, no, I can't, because why? What does he say here, why he couldn't just stay there? It tells us why Jesus was sent to the earth. What was it? To preach all about the kingdom. To preach all about the kingdom. That's why that's why he came, it says. My goodness. Now you, you see that he came to get a kingdom. It says here he came to preach all about the kingdom. It's getting pretty for you know obvious that the kingdom is extremely important to Jesus. Important to the whole plan of God. Important to everything that God is doing. This kingdom is vital to that. So we're looking at the definition now. To have a definition is a starting point of finally putting some substance to the kingdom. So when Jesus is going to go and he says, I'm here to tell everybody about the kingdom. What did he come and tell them about? What we just said. Tell me. <laughs> people, he came to tell them about uh, how he's gathering a people who are willingly surrendered to him and actively participating in an intimate partnership with him. That's what Jesus was telling everybody about. That's what he said he's telling everybody about. Now we'll read through, oftentimes we'll go through the Gospels and read through, and we won't see that. But we don't because it's not in our brain to think that way. We don't even understand it. And we've used this example already, okay? We got Matthew 6 33. Very familiar verse. A lot of people know it. Anybody quote it for me? Okay. Perfect. Seek first the kingdom of God. So, so when, when it, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, remove the word kingdom and put the definition in it for a minute. We're supposed to seek first what? Mm-hmm. That's what he says, top of the list. Now that's, what. see, when you've got some substance to it, that's a starting place. Now I at least, when he says that, i got something to hang my head on. That's what I'm to be seeking after. More, he says, more than what you eat, more than what you drink, more than what you wear. This is what is most important. But now here's the big problem. Okay, there's the verse. We got that. But we need to unpack that verse a little bit, don't we? Because who knows what he meant when he said seek. You see, now that really means a lot. Um, I might, you know, I might have dropped something and i got to look for it here for a minute and, and find it as I'm seeking it. You know what I mean? Is that what he's talking about? No. No. What's he talking about? He's talking about if you hid $10,000 on this property and you said you can have it if you can find it, that would be seeking. <laughs> That's the con- that's the concept. That kind of intensity is in that word, seek. That kind of intensity. But it also means to ponder, to think, to crave, crave it, and then to demand it of yourself that you would have that. So now you see when he sees that, you're starting to unpack this concept. That definition, 
See, now what he wants us to do is more than any other thing, I'm to crave that relationship. You see that? That's what he says. More than what you eat, more than what you drink, more than what you wear. And it says he came to establish that, to get that, to get that, that relationship. And that's what he prepared all the way through to take us to there, to into that eternal relationship. That's what's so important to God. So now that really shrinks it down to, for us, doesn't it? Of, of what really it's all about. We know that that's the most important thing. That's the purpose. So now that's what I have to really be focused on and address. And if I can get that, if I can get that focused on that and that becomes my life, then whatever else we do really is secondary. We've hit the main thing that's the most important thing in the world that God wants. And we're right there where he wants us to be. So that's right. It's really, really important. So we're dissecting this definition. So we started talking about off of Luke 19 last week and the parable that Jesus gave, gave talked about the kingdom and he came to get that and we were looking at that. And then Rachel had this just beautiful question. What happened? There were, there were people in this who he gave these minas to. And these minas, they, they, they're people who became part of his kingdom. And how did they become part of his kingdom according to that parable? How did they get in the kingdom? What did they do? They're slaves, right? They're slaves, but what did they do first? They become a slave. Because the other group of people, two types of people, one were and one were not. Did, didn't they put that money they had to work? Well, they did, but there's there's another type of people who were not part of that kingdom, and there's, why weren't they? They didn't want him to reign over them. They didn't want him to reign over them. So now... Oh, they willingly surrendered. The others willingly surrendered. They, they willingly surrendered. And then, they God says he gives them minas. And what were the minas a picture of? What are they? They're actually not a picture. They are in the Greek language. What were the minas? Uh, money. Talent. Money. Their money, and then that money well. could also be your talents, and they could also be your spiritual gifts. Because what was the purpose of those? What did he say to do with those? To grow the kingdom. Use them to grow the kingdom. So now, once I become a kingdom member, then write what you were you were saying, Cole. Then what were we to do? Become slaves. Become slaves, and that's who he what he called. That's what he called those who willingly surrendered to him. He called them slaves. That is absolutely one of the fundamentals of the relationship with him. And you know what that slavery is? Anybody guess what that is? I'll give you a hint. It's in Romans 6. He talks about it. He talks about a lot of places, but Romans 6 really comes out strong. Anybody know what it says here about being a slave? A, a good, what is that, Josh? A slave to righteousness. A slave to righteousness. You see, there is a slavery that God talks about. That is a, the proper and right slavery. And that's being a slave to doing right. What a great concept. But that's how he views who we're supposed to be. A slave to doing what's right. And that's a slavery that is absolutely God-ordained and absolutely right. But also we're to be a slave. We also see in Romans 6, a slave to something else. To, to God. To God. To be a slave to God. That's how he views us, that we're supposed to be that. Now, again, we don't like those kind of terms, but as we go along, you're going to see, because of, of what all this means and how it 
is developed and designed, for example, a, a, a people willingly surrendered to what? The reign of God. The reign of God is seen. There's, there's four attributes of God that are involved in the reign of God. Everywhere he goes, everywhere he does, everything you see in the, in the Bible. I'm just going to briefly, just quickly identify it, but we're not going to spend any time in it today. We will be spending time on it. But it's God's sovereignty. His sovereignty is always involved in every every choice, decision, anything he does. His sovereignty, meaning there's nobody greater than him. He is top of the order. So when he makes a decision, when he does something, there's nothing to appeal to beyond that. There's nothing, no argument with it. He is sovereign. But the next one, he's sovereign, and this attribute is righteous. He's sovereign, righteous. He says, and it says numerous times in the psalm, he never makes one decision that isn't 100% right. 100% right. That's reassuring. Because he'll never, if you're going to be a slave to him, he's never going to do anything that isn't right. It'll always be 100% right. Okay, I can relax in that. Then authority. His authority is that which there is nothing that can say no to him unless he lets them, like us. He lets us say no to him. But his authority, if he, all he'd have to say is, Luke, you're done. I'm done. <laughs> and guess where Luke will be in 10 seconds? He'll be done. He'll be done. <laughs> he will be done. Because he has the authority. Top of everything. There's nothing. And, and, and I love this concept. We believe God created the world and everything in it, the entire universe. But there was nothing there, he tells us. Nothing there. Now, this is an interesting authority because he said, let there be light. There was no light. There were no molecules. There was nothing. And he's in his authority says, let there be light. And guess what? Light appears. Now, that's authority. He just speaks it. Nothing's there. And it happens because of his authority. And then the last one, the fourth attribute, is his power. And that infuses his sovereignty, his righteousness, his authority, and his great power. Those four attributes are there. So you're surrendering. That's always in his reign and his rule. Those four things are what we were, we were and we'll be talking about that, what we're surrendering to. Now, let's address the question that was asked. So, in this parable, at the end of this parable, in Luke 19, there are these the people who did not surrender. And, and he gave them the right to do that. But Rachel asked a beautiful question. says, wait a minute now. If we're talking about a willing surrender, well, can that really be willing? Because what did he do to those who did not, who did not surrender? He slaughtered them them right in front of him. Slaughtered them. So she says, is that really free will? Is that really willingly doing that if he's going to slaughter you if you don't? I mean, what happened to our free will here? The willingness to be able to make a choice? Because that doesn't seem like a whole lot of choice. If I don't do it, he's slaughtering me. So now, wait a minute, how's that work? (laughs) Is that really free will? Is that really a willingness to do? I mean, how does that work? Beautiful question. Beautiful question. So, we're going to get into something here. Is that glare on this thing too much? Yes. So it's working. It's okay then, right? Okay, good, good. We'll see how it goes here now. 
<laughs> can you see anything on this board? <laughs> you can? Put that in the middle. Put that in the middle. Sweet, buddy. Man. Wow, that's right. Getting back. Getting back even. That's sweet. That's pretty good. Oh, man. Okay, got a question to ask. And I decided to let someone else ask it. Oh. We're going to answer that question because that question is going to help us answer. Okay? We're going to examine your brain. So let me just tell you a little bit about the brain first. It's kind of fun. I love, I love doing this one. It's really kind of fun. But this is a brain. It looks very similar to this. And we're not sure about Shad, but Derek, we know, has one. And the reason why we know that, because we were questioning that too when he was in high school. But he had to go in and get an MRI in our brain. And they sliced it all up and diced it all up and gave us pictures of it and went, well, okay, now, well, now we know he's got a brain. So now he's got no excuse for his bad grades. No. So, so anyway, yes, he's got a brain. Um, but we're going to look at the brain. And we want to take a look at two facets of it to start with. This part here, that part there, and then all the rest of it here. So all of this part. Okay, these two parts are this and this. Okay, that's what those two parts are. So we have, this part is your frontal cortex of your brain right here, the prefrontal cortex, and it occupies about 10% of your brain. Okay, while it's thinking and everything, this is your conscious part of your brain. This is the part you know. When you hear me talk or you hear somebody say something over here or laugh or you're reading something all that's getting this energized right here your prefrontal cortex bam that just comes alive and you got all this stuff firing off in here and it's all happening inside your brain and it's going okay that's in the prefrontal cortex that part of your brain now this part of your brain that, that occupies 10 percent the rest of your brain is this metacognitive part now something's really fascinating about this this is where everything else is stored and worked on everything else happens right there in that part of it so now this part here 2,000 pieces of data is processed in this part of your brain per second. 2,000 pieces of data per second can be processed in that part of your brain. That's pretty impressive. Unless you need 22,000 pieces or 2,200 pieces of data, but, but 2,000 pieces of data can be processed right there in that part of your brain. This part here, you're not aware of. This part of your brain is happening all the time, but you're not aware of that part. You don't know that's going on. Now catch this. Four billion pieces of data is processed in this part of your brain per second. Four billion pieces of data is processed in that part of your brain per second. Whoa, that's pretty impressive. But we don't know it. We don't know what's going on here. But your brain's doing all the time. When you go to bed at night, this 10% part of your brain is what goes to sleep. The rest of it is still active. 
They still got things going on. They can read it and watch it. It stays active and does things. But this part of it is what goes to sleep. You ever have a night or a day, you've been really busy all day long, man, it's been a tough day, and you get home from work, you get home from school, get home from whatever, hanging out with your friends, and they're just driving you nuts, and you get home, and you go, oh, man, I don't want to think of another thing. You ever, you ever have that? I know you have. You've had it. Where your brain just says, I'm done. Shut down time. And so when you go to bed that night, guess what happens? Your brain, this goes to sleep. This part of your brain kicks into gear. You know what it does? It walks all around your brain. It's all moving all around your brain. And it's taking a look at all the things you did that day. They all have entered into this brain. They've all come into it. And it's all in there. And it's going, what was important? What was important today? Well, let's see. Sarah went to 7-Eleven. Eh, toss that out. Should do that again someday. We don't need, we don't need that information. Okay? Josh is over there killing a rattlesnake so he can fly down there and everything and wants to keep it and do something with us. Eh, it might be worth keeping. So it hangs on to it. Okay? That sounds pretty good. Hand on the other hands over here and she goes, Matthew 25:34. I think I'll memorize that. She starts to memorize it. She's getting into it. She's learning it. She's going through it. And then she goes, no, I got something else to do. I got to do something else. I, 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 no, don't worry about it. Okay, so that happens then. So, guess what happens at night? Your brain, this metacognitive part of your brain, starts to go into a, a, a clean-out mode. And the things it doesn't see that were important to you during that day, it gets rid of. Things might out. And it might have something like Joss a snake, and it goes... Man, right now that seems kind of important. So we'll hold on to it. It doesn't get rid of it. Hangs on to it for a little while. Three days from now, it may look, Josh may be saying things about it and it goes, eh, this is stupid. Get rid of it. Or it may just hang on because he realizes, hey, this is something he really wants. And then it's hanging on to the verse that Hannah was, but it hasn't done anything with it yet. But it's hanging on to it because it still just hasn't quite reached this point level where it says, I want that and hang on to it and keep it. Now, I'll show you something here. This little guy here. This kind of looks like some of the area around us. That's a neuron in your brain. It's a neuron. That's what they look like. It's like a tree, doesn't it? All these, they call these dentrites. They just look like a tree. These look like branches. These look like roots. But this is the neuron cell. But all this stuff grows from a neuron cell. It expands all out and grows. So now, let's say you're, you're, you, you start entertaining this thought, and it goes back into your brain and says, okay, we're thinking about it. So then it's, these, these neurons are firing off all over the place, and it's looking at them all, and it's going, oh, this is interesting, and it's starting to process it, and it's working through all of these, and these are talked to another one. And so then it says, okay, I think we're going to keep this. And the next day, Hannah pops out that verse again and starts to go over, over it again. It goes, oh, wait a minute. I heard this verse yesterday. She's going over it again today. So you know what it does? These little branches here, let's say this is the branch that's working with that. It gets a little bigger. So then the next day, third day, she goes, uh, goes over it again. Meditates on it, thinks about it, goes over it again, goes over it again. Oh, guess what it does? It gets bigger. I had a really neat conversation with someone this week. Got to spend a couple hours, two, three hours just having a really wonderful conversation over some things and issues and things they were struggling with. And I got to just have this real wonderful talk. 
and I was able to share some things on, on the brain, some, some issues and something. And this person picked it up and said, oh, building a freeway. I said, you got it. I said, see, what you think about starts building a freeway, a network of, of data passing of, of, of a roads that passes this data back and forth to what it needs and goes back and forth. And it goes back and forth from over here, one side of your brain, over here to this prefrontal part. And so what you think about, the more you think about it, the greater this road goes. Now, let me show you how what this stuff's all about now, because you're going to see how important this is. The default mode network. This is who you are. Who are you? This is who you are. And this is where all the things that are important to you, they can be good and they can be bad, are stored. And they go into here and they sit right in here. That's, that's who you are. Now, let's say you're going to do something. You're thinking about something. You're going to go do something. This is the task positive network, they call it. This is where the actions come from. They come right out of this part of you. Who you are produces this, produces your actions. But there's another part of this, this limbic system. That's it's mostly down in this area, but it's, it's all of your emotions. It's, it's all of your feelings, your joy, your happiness, your sorrow, your stress. All of that is all processed in this part of your brain, in the limbic system. Now, you notice there's some words attached to this. They look familiar? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Mind, soul, and you'll see it's strength. Those are, those are your actions. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and actions. Your strength. Interesting. God said that back in Deuteronomy 6. Four different areas of your brain <laughs> and how you process things and how things work. Yeah, he says it back there. We just learned about them a little while ago. Not that long ago, in actuality, of how these things all work. It's, all, it's almost like like 80% of what they know about the brain today, 70-80% was all learned in the last 40 years. And it keep, they keep learning more and more and more and more about it. It's exploding neurosciences on what they get to learn about the brain. So these things were identified back then, but this is, this is who you are is in this part right here. And what this part is, is the stored information and experiences that you have gone through in your lifetime. So now, let's think of this. You have a situation comes up, you hear me talk about something, or you're listening to somebody, or a boss at work. Something comes up and it gets your frontal, prefrontal cortex brain moving. Activities happening. So you're starting to think and process something. Something's going on. Well, it isn't just what's happening here. 2,000 pieces of information a second. See, your default mode network then says you've had six experiences of this. You've had these different things about it. You've thought this way about it. So guess what it does? It floods over here this information, fires it off into here, and then influences your thoughts. In fact, it will influence your thoughts more than your, your natural thinking about it will. Because what's going to have a greater impact is what has been in your brain. That's going to have the greatest impact on you making a decision. Now, 
back over to the question. Free will. We think of free will. Somebody want to tell me what free will is? What is free will? Well, it sounds like you're setting us up. I am. Here. I am. I'm setting you up to, to, to fail. Okay. Smart Alex. <laughs> just because he's got a brain, no. Now he can just harass me here. Okay. Freedom what? Yeah. Freedom to choose. Isn't that how we think of free will? You have the freedom to choose. That's, that's such a minor part of this, of free will. It's a very little part. That's, that's not what free will is all about. Free will <laughs> is the ability God gave you to choose what you put in your brain. Because see, what you put in your brain is then going to come over here and influence that choice. It's not as free as you think. Because it's going to be influenced by this. Everything that's in here. All the experiences are going here. Good or bad. All those experiences are going to be in here are going to influence that decision. So now you can start seeing the importance of what you put in your brain. Because if you put wrong stuff in your brain, guess what's going to happen with your decisions? I keep asking questions, sorry. It's all right. So how do you purposefully put something in that right-hand middle square? And I didn't even prompt you for that question. No, you didn't. Man, that's a good one. That's an excellent question. I mean, can you? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You can. Now, how many how many of you know what dopamine is? Yeah. <laughs> you do. And that was free will. That's free will, yeah. That was free will choice right there. Dopamine. Dopamine comes right out of here, your limbic system. And it's a chemical that is released. And when something is joyful, something makes you happy, something you like. Dopamine is released. That's why you get these feelings of happiness. You go, oh, I like this. I like this. You know what? When dopamine's released, guess where that information goes? It goes right there. It stays right there. When dopamine is released, bingo. So you see, this willing surrender, free will, this willing surrender, there's a lot that goes into that. Because, see, if you have crammed your brain full of evolutionary thoughts how free are you going to be to make a decision for God you see you think you might just look at the information and go oh yeah okay it's easy for me to do that no it isn't because see you've been packing it full of anti-God information and that then cycles right through here and starts affecting your choices and how you think it's the way God made our brain to work. This is not a product of the fall. He gave us free will so we could control what's going in our brain. And if we can control what's going in here, guess what we get to control? Who are you? You get to choose who you're going to be. If I ask you right now, what, who, do you, who do you want to be in 25? In, in, by the time you get 25 or five years from now. Five years from now. Who do you want to be? That's what free will's about. Because see... You can look at that and say, okay, I really, here's some things I've been thinking about with God. I really like to do this, do this, do this. Guess what you can do? You start taking Bible verses, you start implementing those into your brain, you start first get them in there in a way you can memorize them in some way, shape, or form so that you can meditate. And if you can meditate on them and think about them, whoa, the neurons just start growing big, huge freeways over here. 
And guess what? That starts affecting your actions, starts affecting your emotions, starts affecting uh, the decisions you make. And guess what? Five years from now, you're going to be that person. And guess what gets to be added to that? So you can do that as a non-Christian. They see people, they can do that. Do you know what? Neuroscience has, has now discovered that is the absolute greatest way to change a person's life. All neuroscience is, is along the same, same pathway. You know what it is? You're smiling because I bet you know it, don't you? What is, you know it? And what is that? The M word. Mom. Yeah, no. <laughs> Memori- uh, meditation. They have found meditation is the greatest influencer of character and changing a person than anything going. What is meditation? Because normally you think of it as like some yoga class or something. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's so true. Um, Unfortunately, that really is a shame because the Bible talks so much about meditation. And yet it's a word that, again, doesn't really have any meanings to us. It's not something that we practice. The world should be looking at Christianity for what meditation is. It should be. We should know more about it than anybody does. And when I read on neuroscience and all the neuroscientists and all the studies they're doing and everything else, and they'll go into all different kinds of people groups, they hardly ever look at Christians to have them meditate and think of them. They're over in Hindu, different religions like that, because they do a lot of meditation. So they look at how it processes and works and does things like that. And by, by oh, by, we should be the top of that list of how. Now, you want to see how, this is what they've discovered here in the last 20 years, exactly how this works. Joshua 1.8. Everybody look there for a minute. I want you to see something. Just follow along together now. Starts out, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. What that means is that you should never stop talking about it. So guess what we're activating here if we're not stopped talking about it? Prefrontal cortex, right here. Always keeping that part of your brain active, talking about it with people. And, and talking about the, the law of God, the Word of God. Talking about it to start with. Now you start talking about it so you can do what with it? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Oh, guess what? <laughs> we just moved it into this. You want to meditate it on, meditate it on, meditate it on, day and night. So it gets put over here. Because God knows if you meditate on it, it's going to do what with it? So that you may be careful to observe all that is written. To do it. Isn't that interesting? 3,500 years ago, God wrote this actual way this processes the brain that we've just now figured out. But he said, that's how it works. So now we, we take it, we start talking about it, we start meditating on it, get it over here in our default mode network, and don't fight it, because if you fight it, if you don't like it, if you go... 
This is stupid. I don't want to do that. It ain't going here. But if you look at it and go, oh, this is good. Look what God has said. It's going over here. And then that, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Now there's your actions. There's the process. So now, the question, can we willingly surrender if we're scared to death that God's just going to slay me if I don't? Is that actually going to do it? Now think about, what would you, how would your brain be processing things? What would be going on if you were so scared of God? And you're thinking, but I gotta, I gotta surrender to him. Just, just take that through your brain. What's that going to look like when it gets over here? What is it? Bitterness. Bitterness. Okay. Oh, I like that. Sorry, I didn't hear that. Um, bitterness. Yeah, you could. My goodness, you could have bitterness, and you got bitterness. You're stirring up an emotional system here that God warns us about in. in in Hebrews 12, about that bitterness. And that will stir this up. And if it does that, it's going to be implanted here. But what's going to be implanted here? A bitter spiritual thoughts. It'll, it'll, it'll be in here. And, you know, in, in Hebrews 12, it warns us, stirring up and causing all kinds of problems within you is what it says. So now you see what can happen? It's not going to lead you to a willing surrender. It's going to lead you to a bitterness against God. What else? What, how else could you, that process? What else could happen with you if you were thinking that? Man, I'm scared to death. If I don't do this, what, 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 what do I do with this? Oh man, I don't know what to do with this. What happened? Fearful. Fearful. You have this great fear. Is fear wrong? No. Wait a minute. Let me say it this way: Is a fear of God wrong? I don't know how we can approach God and not have a fear if you're starting that way. But now, what if you're a Christian? What about that fear? Well, it says the beginning, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Mm -hmm. That's where it begins. Okay. Reverence and respect. That's the fear there of what it means. You see, the fear should leave us to reverence him. You think of, one of, one of the great stories about this is in Isaiah. When Isaiah gets called up to God, he's brought right to the throne of God. And, and so now he gets right in the presence of God. And what's his response? Oh, big guy, good to see you. No, it wasn't, was it? What's his response? Whoa, as man, he falls right in his face. What am I doing here? I don't belong here, I don't belong here, I don't belong here. What am I doing here? That's a proper response of fear. Because then what happens next? Then then when God says, but you know what, I need someone to go back to Israel and explain to them how mad I am, what they're doing wrong. They're not doing what I've said, and I've told them over and over and over and over again, just stop it, just stop it, just stop it. They're killing their babies, sacrificing their babies, and I've had it. I want to stop. And they're not responding. And he says, and I'm going to send you back. I want somebody to go back for me. And so now, what did that fear produce in Isaiah? What's the next thing? What does he do? Send me, send me, send me, please. Send me, send me. I'll go do it. You see, now that's a proper response. You see, that fear inside of here stirred him up in, in a healthy respect and reverence to God, seeing Him. 
And that kind of fear didn't cause him to get bitter and get angry and go away. They put him on his face going, whoa, I'm scared to death right now. And then God says, I need someone to go, okay, I'll go, I'll go. It, it immediately led him to an obedience. It led him to an obedience. Now that, see, when you understand that, then that then gets in this brain, and that's how you can make a willful surrender. God didn't make Isaiah go do that. He just I need somebody to go. He's got all kinds of angels around there. Any one of them could have But you see, he jumped up and said, no, 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 send me. I want to go. Because see, that that drew him in here that he said, I want to do that. It came out of there in that kind of positive act, action. That's how you get a willing surrender. It starts with a healthy respect for God and honor of God, a fear of God. He will slay me if I don't. But he said, he will. He loves me so much, that same God who will slay me said, I'm going to the cross for you, people. I'm going to be slain myself so that you don't have to be. But now, what's that? When, when you chew on that thought for a while, you take some verses about that, and you start talking about those verses, and you start meditating on those verses, what is that going to produce, should produce, here and here? What should be just a natural response that comes out of there? Living for God. And, and what would be here? Joy. Uh, I want to. I, I want to do this because look what you've done for me. I want to. Isn't that First John four? We love Him because He first loved us. You see, you start taking these verses and you start chewing on them. You start meditating. You get those hidden in here, and it will affect your actions. It'll affect your emotions, and you'll have healthy ones, and you'll respond to God and serve God and love God the way He wants you to. So that he can love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it will come naturally out of it the way he created us. He created our brains to work this way. That's what he wants us, how he wants us to respond to his kingdom. To his rule. This is the starting point of, of being in the kingdom. Is willingly surrendering to the king. See, because if you try to address God and come to God without that willing surrender... You see a problem? What what can happen when, for example, God says, I need somebody to go for me? What might the response possibly be? I got other things to do right now. Um, hey, let me bury my dad first. Like he said, he said, that, man, I got a lot of wealth right now and stuff that I really need to take care of. And uh, Nah. And you know what? I just really... I don't like doing that, so I'm just not going to do it. Just not gonna, I've had people tell me that. I'm not going to do that. Just standing right there looking at what God said. No, I'm not going to do that. Really? Why? How can they say that? See, this comes out of the mouth right here. What Jesus says, out of the abundance of a man's heart, he speaks right out of that. Comes right out of that heart. That heart where everything is hidden in here, everything's tucked in here, and that's who you are, and it comes right out of there, and it'll just pop right out, just like that. And just affect how you act, how you speak, your emotions, all of that. 
and crazy neuroscientists said the greatest way to change a human being is get to meditating on good, correct things. Got so far ahead of neuroscience, goodness gracious. He was telling the Jews to do that in the wilderness. <laughs> That's what he wants you to do. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and that's, though, all done by free will. It's, it's that willing choice. But how do you make that willing choice? How do you make that? Okay. One of the best ways to start that process is go grab some scriptures and start meditating on them. Philippians 2. Take a look at Philippians 2 for a minute. So let's just read here. Follow along here. So we're just, you're just reading along, talking about Christ. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by coming, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and un under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Okay, you read a verse like that. Okay. How do you respond to it? How do you respond to a verse like that? What do you do? You can think about it and go, nah, toss it aside. So that night everything gets cleaned out and nothing goes here. But let's say you're reading it and you go, wow, that's what Christ did? Wow. I gotta just think about this. So you spend the whole next day chewing that over, thinking about it, going over it, going over it. Well, that starts getting worked right into here. And you do that again the next day and the next day, and you start making that a regular thing you think about. And that starts to have an impact on your actions and on your emotions. If you do that, it starts to change you. Willingly surrendering to it? That's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. Look what he did. <laughs> you see it? Look what he did. That's an easy thing to do. Look what he did for me. I mean, he surrendered to that. Hey, him, what he did? Oh, goodness. That's an easy thing to do then, if you start chewing on that. Now, I'm going to show you an illustration of something. We're going to look at your brain for a moment. Um, I'm going to need some volunteers, if I can. Hannah, come on up here. You can be the official. Hannah, your first question should have been, does it involve a goat? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Thank you. I'm not, you know, not this one, though. You got another one, right? Yeah, use another one. Well, I'll tell you what, you can. Let's do this, because we'll expose this to the crowd. Okay, we have here... We've now called this the Materials Valley Ranch Cake. Huh? Yeah. Sorry, the whipped cream is starting to I like it. Now, let me show you this. This is a cake. This is a cake that has lots. You like that cake? It has lots of great ingredients in it. You want to hold this up for a minute? It has a little bit. Thank you, Banner. Hannah, Hannah? No, that's before your time, you don't know what I'm talking about. There's a little salt. Did you want us to start doing this? Yes. Everybody who has not had a taste of this, okay? 
All those who have, you get yours after. But there's a little soda goes in this. <laughs> you have. In my default mode network, it clearly says you have. <laughs> uh, we got here some sugar. Put a lot of that. That's not enough. I'll get a little more of that. Okay, here we go. We got a bunch of them. All right. Oh, oh, okay, okay, all right. Well, we got some flour to go in here, right? Okay, a bunch of flour to go in this thing. All right, a bunch of flour to go in this. Okay, here we go. We got some flour in there. Um, we also got some other things. Oh, we got some cocoa, some chocolate that goes in this thing. That's a good cake, isn't it? Those who haven't had it or are having it, this is a good cake. Let's see if we can get this off of here. Got some chocolate in here. Okay, okay, a little more chocolate. Vanna says. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think Hannah's default quote note is stored. That's it, yes. Okay, oh yes, we gotta get some of this. Butter and eggs in here. There we go, flop that in there. What do you think, is that good? Yeah, okay. Okay, we've got some Eagle Brand milk goes in this thing. And then... So good, and then, oh, of course, we got cool. Flap some on there. Well, I think we can almost pour it on there. Yeah, pour it. Well, pour it's it, it it's melted. It's kind of melted down. So now, that's all the ingredients in this thing. Okay? So that's all the ingredients in this. Oh, goodness gracious, we got the caramel. Where is our caramel? Here it is. We got caramel in there. Um, you're supposed to be soft and get down in there. you practice your patience. Yes, yes. So we got all, this is all the ingredients that go in this cake. And I want to tell you, it is delicious, okay? And, and that's what these ingredients are meant to do, to produce that cake. Okay? So you get to stir it now. Stir it all up. Here, you know? Now, this is... <laughs> uh, you probably won't say that in a minute. You probably won't say that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> this, this is your brain. God designed it, and it's the most beautiful thing in the universe. The brain is incredible, what God designed how it works, what it's capable of doing. It's its just fantastic what it can do. It's designed to work that way. But you know what happens? Oh, doggone it. We, we, we put other things in it, like a little lubricant. We'll put other stuff in it. Kind of get that in there and kind of mess it up a little bit. Well... We need a little water because it's getting a little thick, right? Yeah. So we'll pull out a little lake water up there. Probably a couple. Might be one in here. Kind of deal over here. You need some. You need some water in there. Put that in there. Get that thing stirred up a little bit. Okay. Oh, look what I got here. Oh. Ew, that's horrible. What do you think that is? What do you? Oh my God, Crap. Yeah, that hey. smells bad. <laughs> what is it? Throw that in there. Oh, it's manure. It's no, it's not. It's right out of the dog. Is that actually possible? <laughs> right out of the dog. It's real crap. Is this so so cool? You might want to throw away the spoon when we're done. It's all cool. Stir that baby up. Now, i got a question for you. You see what's going on here? We have this perfect, beautiful brain God design, and then we start throwing all kinds of stuff in it. What do you think? Pick out something. Pick out something in life that could be crap. 
Oh, it's got a wonderful aroma, doesn't it? What? Yeah. Think of something that could be crap that is going to go in your brain and be... TV. TV, TV. okay. Anger. Facebook. Um, anger. Facebook. Chaz. <laughs> 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 well, that humorous. Come on. What else you got here? Come on. Porn. Porn. It all goes in your brain. It's going right over here. It's going in here. Look at the junk we're putting in this brain. So it's not going to produce. Where are you going? Oh, sneaks out with a piece of cake. Okay, Vanna. You're done already. Okay. Um, you see what we keep putting in here and hiding in here and, and jamming into this beautiful, beautiful thing God makes? You, um, you, you can be done. You can sit down. Oh, here we go. We got some beautiful flowers. Let's put some beautiful flowers in it. Stir go. them up. They were pretty. What what might some really pretty flowers be in society in our brains that we might put in there and get over here? What is it? Oh, they look so good, don't they? You're you're a member of the flower child. <laughs> I am. That's exactly what we talked about. Yes. Um could be drugs because they're just glorious, beautiful. Um Church? church? Who said that? Who do you think? <laughs> 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 you can have some flowery, beautiful experiences and then have some flowery, beautiful, bad experiences. You can have them in there. And they're going to be right here. You ever gone to a, you ever heard talk to anybody or watch or listen to anything on these self help groups? Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. And they'll. Just flood it with things that we think look good. But happy thoughts. Yes. Got them all stirred up in there. Look at they're all mixed into that. Really good. Look at that. That's a good looking soup right there. It's all flowers. It looks nice, doesn't it? But now you see what's going on here? We we have this beautiful brain God has created. And he gives us the free will to pick and choose what we want to put in it. Which is then going to determine how we think, how we respond, the choices we make, how we're going to act, and how we're going to feel. But unfortunately, we have a world that just we live in that doesn't want to have anything to do with God. So we end up putting in all kinds of crap, all kinds of stuff in here that should never be in our brains. Should never be in our brains. And guess what it does? It starts influencing. We have a little something, some issue comes up, and bam! This this metacognitive brain with four billion pieces of data can process in a second, starts firing off stuff there so fast, and it influences then the decision, the response, your emotions, and your actions that you're going to make. Wow. 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 Salt is one of the things, it goes in almost everything you ever make. That's a lot of salt. Jeremy, I think you should bake this. You, you think we might be getting a little too much in here? Yeah. She put a lot of salt in there. The salt might make it taste better, I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're still getting a lot of salt in this thing. Phone. Of the phone. Yes, 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 yes. And then everything you've been sharing about 
Beautiful passage. That's exactly right. And it's able to do that. And it changes it. What I just dropped in this thing was one of the most necessary things that goes in all baking. And you need it in your life. Salt. But you know, I put an abundance of salt in here. Let me give you an example of what Gary's talking about. And it works exactly against what you're talking about right there, Tammy. How many years did you spend in school? You've been at least 12, 14, 16, 18, I mean, you got a lot of years. How many hours did you spend in school? About two a week. <laughs> you know, it's you need it. It's good. You get all this good stuff that goes in there. You get all this good stuff. How many hours have you spent in your lifetime memorizing and meditating on the Word of God? I can tell you this, it won't even be close to the amount of time you put in school. And here's the thing, parents, I'm a parent. We spend this time putting our kids in there, working hard on them in their grades, trying to get them disciplined, trying to get them to do things, trying to make these, you know, do what's right in school and learn all this stuff and everything else. And how much time have we spent teaching our kids? all about God, all about his kingdom, all about how it works, what it's all about, what it does, how God, everything that works with them, getting verses in there so when they leave your house, my house, they leave, their default mode network, their heart is filled with good stuff that God wants to be in. So they, now they have a healthy chance to go out into this world and represent God, to serve his kingdom, as we saw in Luke 19, to do what he wants. Because now they can make a willing surrender to God and a choice for him. Because they got great stuff in it. Now, like I said, now school's got a lot of good stuff. But you know, also, school is one of the greatest violators of the truth of God out there, pushing on kids. All about evolution and atheism and saying there isn't a God and Questioning everything that's right and pushing things that are wrong. And we don't balance it out. Man, the greatest thing we'd ever do with our kids is to put into them more. Now just think of this. More, far more than what the schools are going to put into them in terms of knowledge and facts and data. Wow. What a difference we'd make in this world. What a difference we'd make with our children. But you know what? You can't do that if you don't do it yourself. Because as parents, one of the things I learned, if, if I have any discrepancies between what I'm saying to them that they need to do and that I'm not doing, there's a big discrepancy in that. Man, kids are so quick at picking that up. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> See, his, his default mode network is just so messed up. <laughs> oh, man. But we as parents, we as adults, me as a grandfather, 
Um, doggone it. The greatest gift we can give this planet, the greatest gift we can give our family, the greatest gift we can give society, the greatest gift we can give our friends, the greatest gift we can give to the church, the greatest gift we can give back to God is to take his word and start implementing it into our lives through what we think about, what we do with it, how we act upon it, meditate upon it, act upon it, meditate upon it, act upon it, bringing it into here, because, see, this is who we are. This is who we are. So then, therefore, what do you think God would like to see in here? What do you think when he looks at this? Because guess what? The Bible tells us, where does Jesus dwell today in, in us? He says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Paracletos. I'm going to give him to you. He's an exact copy of me. He is me. And guess where he says is going to dwell? In your heart. In your heart. It's going to be right here. Right in your heart. So you know what he gets to do? He gets to look at us and see everything that's going on inside of our brain. So when he parks himself and says, there's my home, there's my throne, I'm living right in there. What kind of throne are we giving him? <laughs> what do we got around us? What are we building around him? What are we putting in there around him? Because that's where he's at. He knows who we are. And you know, it's just such an amazingly beautiful concept. This is the kingdom extraordinaire. Because the king of the kingdom comes and lives right here and rules from right here now. Romans 8, 1. What's it say? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Goodness gracious. Parks himself right here. You know all that crap that we were talking about? Stunk, didn't it, Anna? That's so <laughs> nasty, isn't it? That really was. Really Man, get, get your eyes watering. And that, we, we, how much of that have we put in here? And then he parks himself, his throne, builds it, establishes it, and puts it right there. With no condemnation. Oh my goodness. What kind of king is that? That would do that. That's, that's the king of the kingdom. That's incredible, isn't it? But that's what God does. So you see when it says a willing surrender to the reign of God... Oh my goodness, that is that is so easy to do. It's just like you know, it isn't about being afraid of being slaughtered. It's about how could I not? How beautiful is that king? How beautiful is that king? How could I not willingly surrender? So the greatest thing we'll do is to start bringing in good thoughts, true thoughts, biblical thoughts. And putting those in our brain above everything else and meditating on those. And that's how we will move on. And that's, I want to um, play a song to finish off with. It's about the king of the kingdom. Father, I don't know how you could ever have offered your son to us, for us given them to us. Let us manhandle them, spit on them, kick them, beat him, whip him, mock him, laugh at him, 
curse him, ignore him, and you knew this, and you knew all about that, and yet back at the foundation of the world, you put that into place, that your, your son would come get his kingdom. And it would cost him everything. But he came. And he did. And he was crucified. And we, we get to inherit your kingdom because of that. Father, you're more than gracious to us. You're more than kind. You're more than loving. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your kingdom that one day, because of what Christ did, we get to inherit. Gosh. And we get to live in that world for all eternity. A world that is completely under your rule. Nothing, nothing, nothing is ever opposed to it again. Everyone there will willingly surrender to your reign. And everyone there will forever actively participate in an intimate partnership with you. Father, we just have one request. That now, right here, whatever time it is you give us, that we would surrender in completeness to you, joyfully, honorably, respectfully, willingly, to your reign. And every single day, we would actively participate in an intimate partnership with you to bring your will to our lives and to this world, however you deem it so for us. We just thank you and praise you. You are so much worthy than what we can ever give you back, but we love you and thank you, Father. Amen.